Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with me, Tom Howrigan. We begin with terror at 16,000 feet. Yes, we are emergency, we are depressurized, but we do need to return back to, we have 177 passengers, That is the incredibly calm sound of the pilot of an Alaska Airlines plane flying over Oregon on Friday night after one of the cabin's panels blew out. You may well have seen the video footage of a gaping hole in the side of the Boeing jet, which had only been in the air for 20 minutes. The force of the wind coming through that gap was apparently strong enough to whip the shirt off the back of a young boy who was among the passengers. The National Transportation Safety Board in the US has already gone to Portland to inspect the plane. Here's its chair, Jennifer Homendy. The first order of business for me was to see the aircraft, outside the aircraft and inside. We bring together everyone that will be part of the fact-finding phase of our investigation and plan out how we intend to proceed over the next several days. It is an accident, not an incident. And the US aviation regulator has since grounded more than 170 Boeing planes for urgent checks. The model in question is the MAX 7379. Now, you might remember a few years ago, two MAX 7378 models crashed, one in Ethiopia, the other in the Java Sea. Nearly 350 people died. We asked Anthony Brickhouse, a professor of aerospace safety at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Florida, whether there was a link between those accidents and this week's blowout. From what we know about what happened Friday night and what happened in 2018 and 2019, there's no clear connection. What we're dealing with from Friday night is is what we call a structural failure. And the 2018 and 2019 accidents involving the MAX 8 had totally different causes. Fortunately, it happened at 16,000 feet and and not double that at maybe cruise altitude. Professional pilots are trained to deal with emergencies, and a rapid decompression is something that they deal with. Also, the in-flight crew, the flight attendants, um, also train and drill for in-flight emergencies. You never expect it to happen, but when it does, your training kicks in. Pilots were extremely calm declaring an emergency, and the flight attendants back in the cabin did an outstanding job of keeping everybody calm and assuring them that things were going to be okay. But Professor Brickhouse says luck played a big part here. Fortunately, it appears that no one was actually sitting in the window seat. Had someone been sitting in that window seat, maybe relaxing with their seatbelt off, This would totally be a different story. This would have been a a disaster. It was only last month that the US Army welcomed the first active duty female sniper into its ranks. 
In Ukraine, though, women have been doing the job for decades. Take the Second World War, for instance. One sniper, Ludmila Pavlichenko, earned the nickname Lady Death for killing 309 Nazis during the sieges of Odessa and Sebastopol. And women are playing an equally important role on the front line in the current war with Russia. The Times defence correspondent George Grills has met one sniper, a 32-year-old who's a photographer by trade known as Cuckoo, because she likes to perch high above the battlefield. George, thanks for being with us on The World in 10. Just tell us exactly what Cuckoo's role is. Quite often it's about pinning enemy troops in a certain place. She's been working in Avdivka, which is the kind of centre of recent fighting. There's been a big intense battle waged there where the Russians are trying to take it. You know, when you imagine going to meet a Ukrainian soldier, you might have in your mind's eye a kind of big, bulky figure, you know, strong, tall, etc. But no, she's quite diminutive in stature, but it's kind of noticeable how she's very deliberate in what she says and in all her movements and everything she does. And, you know, I think that speaks to what she does. Yes, and I know Cuckoo told you she's made a number of kills from nearly a mile away. This is high stakes, high precision stuff. You also asked her, didn't you, about the advantages women have on the battlefield. The reason why women make good snipers and have done in Ukraine for a while, this is a historic position that women have filled, she said was about patience. You know, the whole role is about waiting, you know, two, three days basically camping out. And rather than trying to shape the battle, you are waiting for the Russians to come to you. And she said that women just find it easier. They don't feel the need to get up and run around and try and sort of make their own mark on the battle. They're better at sitting still and waiting for their moment. Istanbul, the city that once sat as the jewel of the Ottoman Empire, now has a new title the hair transplant capital of the world. Quite the change, I know. But for less than £3,000 or $4,000, men can fly from the UK to Turkey's biggest city to reverse the hand that genetics has dealt them. The Times Middle East correspondent Louise Callahan has been looking at this for today's Sunday Times magazine and told me why it's become such a hotspot for main management. Turkey, 20 years ago, it had this very fast-developing, by regional standards, very good health system, lots of very qualified doctors. And they started doing transplants for, it was mainly Turkish men. And then people would come from a country like Iraq or Saudi Arabia to Istanbul because it's really easy to get a visa, not as difficult as it can be to Europe. So then people in the Arab world started noticing, and then it started spreading further. And then lots of Europeans with Turkish or Arab backgrounds started hearing about it. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And the other reason why it's expanding so quickly is because the government's backing it. You know, they're heavily subsidizing clinics. And then, of course, there's the power of social media. And, you know, this is a very kind of visually dramatic procedure. You know, you can get the before and after shots. And it's one that plays into, I think, so many anxieties which men have and sometimes don't vocalise about ageing, about the ways that they look are changing. I think for women, it's often much more normalised, the idea that you want to go and get plastic surgery, which of course, this is what this is. But now all of a sudden, it's just become kind of completely socially acceptable and financially accessible to just go and get 
new hair in Istanbul. But the surgery's pretty invasive and there have been a number of horror stories involving procedures going wrong, sometimes because doctors don't always oversee them from start to finish. Louise explains what goes into a transplant in Turkey. Basically, they pick out your grafts, which might include several hair follicles, using a kind of extractor pen, so that they dig into your head, pick them out, put them out on a tray, and then implant them in a different part of your head. So it's this quite like visceral procedure, and it's kind of fascinating to watch, but it's so incredibly popular. So apparently, according to the Turkish Tourism Ministry, about a million people did it in 2022, but a million people came to Istanbul to have this procedure done. And according to the expert she spoke to, if you're thinking of heading to Turkey for a new hairdo, choose your clinic very carefully. It might not have escaped your attention that 2024 is a huge year for sports. We had the Olympics, the European Football Championships in Germany and the opportunity for cycling history to be made. British sprinter Mark Cavendish is hoping to become the most successful rider in the Tour de France in terms of stage wins. He already has 34 to his name. One more would put him clear of the current joint record holder, the great Eddie Merckx of Belgium. And Mark has given an interview to the Sunday Times chief sports writer David Walsh about facing that challenge at the age of 39, pretty old in cycling terms, plus the incredible ups and downs of his career to date, the debilitating illnesses, the knife-point break-in at his own house. It's a fascinating read, well worth getting a Times digital subscription for, which will also give you access to the best red carpet coverage from tonight's Golden Globe Awards. Now, on Wednesday, the Times chief film critic Kevin Marr gave his predictions for the Golden Globes in the paper and guessed the two big films of last year, Barbie and Oppenheimer, would sweep the board. Now, though... He's not so sure. Two nights ago, the National Society of Film Critics in America, which is a huge award system, awarded everything to Past Lives, which is my favourite film of the year, a Korean-American movie. And the new Golden Globes voting body is made up of film critics. I'm suddenly beginning to have this doubt that tonight I'll be completely proved wrong. And in a good way, they'll they'll go for Past Lives, which is my favourite film, and they won't go for Barbie and Oppenheimer. So professionally, I look like an idiot. Well, we shall see. Whoever styled Ryan Gosling's hair in Barbie deserves an award Anyway, that's it for today. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow.